0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shuman Katoshu Dai Yonjūrok Soku Kōtoku Kōtoku Shite Entangling Vines, Case 46, Part 6. Penetrate it thoroughly. An ancient worthy said, Penetrate it thoroughly. Yes, please move. If you'd like to leave, now would be a good time. Bodhidharma Day. We have a wonderful image of Bodhidharma hanging on the right-hand side of the Butsudan. So the next time uh, you leave the Zendo, because you have more time after that, you could take a look at him. He's an awfully handsome fellow. (laughs) And who are we? We are his descendants. All of us are the descendants of the practice of Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma was the 28th ancestor in the lineage that started supposedly with the historical Buddha, Buddha Shakyamuni. 28 generations later, the last person in China was Kido Zenji, Kido and the first person in Japan, Nampo Jomyo, Dai Okokushi. Another twenty-eight generations later, the last person in Japan was Gempo Yamamoto Gempo and the first person coming to America. Nakagawa Soen, Mitakutsu Soen Roshi. So 28 times, and then everything turns over in a different continent, or a different country. First India, then China, then Japan. And now we are here, in the United States of America, in North America. Already three generations in, Altogether, together, Hokuto Osho and myself are in the 84th generation, and Soryu Roshi is in the 83rd generation as a direct descendant of Muishitsu Edo Sotai Rodaishi. I hope you're impressed enough. <laughs> no. This is the history of it. But what is impressive is what we, do, what we are doing here together and what not to a very small, actually what to a very considerable contribution rests on the teaching of Bodhidharma. Now, of course, I feel a little bit Trespassing into Hokuto Osho's uh, Bodhidharma territory, which he has traveled so widely and wisely in, not only giving classes on Bodhidharma for the Zen Studies Society, but also speaking in Dharma talks and Teishos about him quite a lot. So I will try to just weave little bits, little bits of this Bodhidharma day into this day and into this koan. Today is also Yom Kippur the day of atonement the 10th day of Tishrei the last day of the Jewish New Year. And as an excellent example for all of us we can see In Shingiroshi, the abbot of the Zen Studies Society, the personification that Zen practice is not about giving up who you are. It's not about giving up where you came from. But in the end, it makes you into a more alive of whatever you are. And in this case, It is an almost 80-year-old Jewish lady who also happens to be a Zen ancestor and a Zen master. There could be nothing more beautiful than that to see for all of us because no matter how rotten you think you are, this practice will, be, will help you to probably become completely rotten, <laughs> 100%. And if that's what it is, it is working. So Shingiroshi is observing Yom Kippur today I don't know if she's sticking with the 25-hour fast which I would not recommend to and which is not recommended for for persons who have certain medical conditions Uh, but maybe she is even fasting today while we aren't fasting, that's for sure. Atonement and the last day of these days of the new year. And there's a service just the night before that translated into English would be, it's called the new song. So the new year is like a new song that we are here to not listen to, but to write. And that song is actually written in the book of life. Atonement really taking not only inventory but fully recognizing and atoning one's shortcomings opens the door for a new song to be written. And that is when a Jewish person is inscribed again in the Book of Life. That's also today. Bodhidharma gave us a different kind of life. So, how do we mash all this together with case 46, instance number six? So, this is the sixth case that has to do with Joshu's Mu in the Shumon Kato show, the collection that's called Entangling Vines entangling vines, koans, just the main cases, no commentary to it, just the main case. The first one, 46-1, is, of course, the main koan that speaks about uh, a monk asked Joshu, does it have Buddha nature or not? And Joshu answered, The conversation goes on a little bit and the second part of the coin is an, another monk asked Joshua, Does a dog have Buddha nature? And now this is extra credit if you can say. What did, what, is, what did he say? Ooh. 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 Which is the opposite of moo. That monk was also dumbfounded, didn't know what to say. And then the the other cases. It's quite daunting, you know, to go through six cases with the same kind of topic. But then we heard it yesterday in Hokuto Osho's Teisho. He just gave it away. It's all Mu. (laughs) It's all Mu. There it is. But today, the case is very short. In the original, it's, it's six characters. And it doesn't even include the character for Mu. Mu is only referenced by knowing that this refers to Mu. We also don't know who this ancient worthy is. But this ancient worthy said, penetrate it thoroughly, and it refers to mu. It's interesting to look at these characters you find in these cases. Suryo Roshi has looked at many characters in his translation of parts of the Blue Cliff record and putting together. Uh, the Zen Rin Kushu from Shibayama Zenke. So it is a study. You might ask, what, has it, what does this have to do with Zen? Well, it's an activity that allows us as Zen people to really go beyond what is on the surface and go to the roots of what has come here. And it's a wonderful thing if we can do this as long as we practice at the same time because then they are not just dead roots, but we are actually having the juices flow out of the ground. And it helps us understand, because what those juices are, they are not Indian. They are not Chinese. They are not Japanese. They are not American. They are human, the human heart, mind, and blood, and any other bodily fluid you can think of, Mm -hmm. all of it. So this, uh, in Japanese, it said Kotoku, Kotoku is, Ko is old and Toku is a virtuous one, Kotoku, Iwaku, Iwaku is always says, so this ancient word he said, and Tōtetsu, Tōtetsu, is two characters the first character is to which means transparent permeate filter penetrate that's the meaning of it and each of those kanji usually besides the meaning that we translate into different languages has Japanese reading, how you read it when it is used in the Japanese context like as verbs and conjugations and forms are added and one is how it sounded to the Japanese when it came from China. So one is called the kun reading and the other one is the on. So in the kun it's called suku, sukasu, skero. those are all verbs toru and tosu, penetrating. The on-reading, of course, is to. The second one means almost the same thing. Penetrate, clear, pierce, strike home. And now this is interesting. Sit up all night. Hmm. Is there a tradition that we have here that's called sitting up all night? Well, yeah, that's only one day, so there is no night. But yeah, it's called yaza. Yaza. That's like the post-schedule sitting that in Japanese places is more or less mandatory. It's it's labelled as optional, you know, but so is awakening. <laughs> so this character, the second one, tetsu is found in compounds. So tetsuya is tetsu and the eyes for night, staying up all night. We have yaza, that's a kind of tetsuya, but there's also tetsukara, all-night karaoke. Anyone did that ever? No? Well, after chanting here so vigorously as we do, I think your voice also feels after an all-night karaoke where nobody else would want to take the microphone. Tetsu also is in other compounds, like Shi-Tetsu, cool-headed, level-headed, hard-headed. So these two characters and Sudo makes it into an activity. You have to make it clear, penetrate it, pierce through it. Arrive at clarity arrive at some kind of coherence, a way to see it, not disjointed. That is what this case is about, because it is about the study of Mu. And Mu is the study of our own human condition. It's all Mu. So how do we study a koan like that? In my previous tesho, just at the recent uh, session in New York City, I talked about immersion and all kinds of metaphors for that, what it means. But this morning, again, we read the first half of the Diamond Sutra. And in there, it has a very important instruction in chapter 10. It has the string of characters that reads o mu A bodhisattva should develop a mind that alights on nothing whatsoever. It is said right there. That is the mind that we need to foster nurture enable to be ready for making all these relationships with life that we have. Let me quote another ancestor because we heard the case that Suryo Roshi brought us is from the Blue Cliff Record. The Heikigan Roku. And remember who compiled it? The Heikigan Roku? It's the guy on page 16 on the bottom in the Dai Denpo. The last one on the page. Engo Engo Kokugon. Engo Kokugon, yeah. Before I tell you what he said, I will grab that water so you can move. Engo said... Fundamentally, the path is wordless and the truth is birthless. Wordless words are used to reveal the birthless birth of truth. There is no second thing as soon as you try to pursue and catch hold of the wordless path and the birthless truth, you have already stumbled past it. The same tune. Now let's bring in Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma said, to find a Buddha, all you have to do is see your own nature. Your nature is the Buddha. And the Buddha is the person who's free, free of plans, free of cares if you don't see your nature, and run around all day looking somewhere else, you'll never find the Buddha. The truth is, there is nothing to find. But to reach such an understanding, you need a teacher, and you need to struggle to make yourself understand. If you don't find a teacher soon, you'll live this life in vain. It's true. You have the Buddha nature. But without the help of a teacher, you'll never know it. Only one person in a million becomes enlightened without a teacher's help. If, though, by the conjunction of conditions someone understands what the Buddha meant, that person doesn't need a teacher. Such a person has a natural awareness superior to anything taught. But unless you are so blessed, study hard, and by means of instruction, you will understand. Now, please, don't see this as an advertisement. You can sign up uh, later. No, it's not an advertisement, but I can tell you that without having a teacher, certainly, I wouldn't find myself anywhere, maybe not even alive. You know. We encounter teachings sometimes in books, and they might stimulate our uh, upper parts here and make the lower parts long as much as before, if not even more. But then when we meet somebody on the way who actually embodies what is written about, Things change. And we might be moved to come to a place like this. So if tomorrow when Shinrei, when the bell rings in the morning at 4.30 and you think some expletive word and you ask yourself, what am I doing here? Well, you know the answer. You know the answer. You probably met somebody or a group of people who made it so obvious and real to you that you have no doubt that your aspiration is to be that way. And again, not that way, not having to put on any robes, shave heads and get new names and all of that, no, but be that way of being truly authentic and truly living out of that well of human heart-mind. Look at Shingiroshi, living out of her heart well of the Jewish tradition that brought her in the place she is now, as much as Zen. So I have a little antidote to to that teacher advertisement. Sometimes you might think in the history of Buddhism, maybe teachers are very important when it comes to a more scholastic-based approach to Buddhism. For example, let's say, in the forest monk tradition, Thai forest monks. As a very famous Thai forest monk who has passed away, of course, by now, but there was, it was the Venerable Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah of Thailand. He was approached by one of his monks in his monastery who had spent three years in that monastery, And the monk came and he announced that he would be moving on to another monastery because he had been three years here and he wanted to practice under an awakened master. He told the Venerable Ajahn Chah that he noticed on some days the master was cheerful, friendly and soft. Yet on on other days, he would be grumpy, hard headed, unapproachable. And his moods seemed to just swing up and down, just like those of any other human being. How can I obtain awakening when my teacher himself is not awakened? said the monk. Ajahn smiled. See, there you go again, says the monk, acting like you're pleased you can't get, you can't wait to get rid of me. You act like you're pleased I'm leaving. Ajahn said, no, I am happy I am happy to hear it. This is a wonderful day for you. Today, after having wasted three years here, you will finally begin your spiritual practice. You have been watching me for three years now, looking for the Buddha. Today, you have finally learned You will never find the Buddha outside of yourself. The monk was struck. Did not utter any more words. Prostrated and returned to his meditation hut. He had understood, not understood, but touched the essence of Buddhist practice and Buddhist teaching for the first time. So much about teachers. Here yeah, a little bit more Bodhidharma. Ah, before we go there. It's also middle day today, you know. And uh while your performance at lunch left a lot to be desired. Because the middle day lunch is the slurping lunch. The noodles are there and the the dashi is there, not for taste, but to make as much eating sounds as you can muster up. But apparently uh, you're not into that some tried valiantly to, to suck and slurp as loud as possible but only a few so for the next session please middle day is slurp day <laughs> and the noodles are there I think to, to show uh, basically how time these. Just slide down your throat. It's like you're supposed to consume, not consume, but partake in what is happening right here and now. And if you slurp, so be it. I have not heard anyone slurp in disgust. So that's middle day. But we are mortals. Here's what Bodhidharma says about that. When mortals are alive, they worry about death. When they are full, they worry about hunger. Theirs is the great uncertainty. But sages don't consider the past and they don't worry about the future. Nor do they cling to the present. And from moment to moment they follow the way. What does this tell us? I wrote it down. So I have to read it. So We could say Reality, reality, suchness, tatata, shinnyo in Japanese, or dharmata, is indivisible. Indivisible. It can't be broken up. And it is completely empty of selfhood or stasis. Selfhood and stasis are almost the same words. Sordiuro, she talked about this lectern. How it will reach its shelf life in this shooting match, right? <laughs> and it will break eventually, and we humans will say it's broken. But really, no. It's just the event that we call the lectern that has no lectern hood. It's just changing. It's just evolving all the time. We call it a lectern. If we call this lectern reality, it comes into our consciousness as a thing because we divide, we limit. anti activity that limits, we call our mind which, of course, itself already is limited by the fact that we practice division. But not in reality. Somewhere that is not real. And in that mind, we can divide But we have to understand and learn through this teaching. In the end, it's also our mind that gets divided, not reality. It's just like time. From our self-centered standpoint, we say, time is limited. Well, but we also use that limitation of time that we perceive In the capacity of teaching. When the Han is played, one of the verses there says Toki hito o matazu. Time does not wait for humans. Because time is something that we humans create. And we create it, and therefore it is limited in our perception. But being time is unlimited. It's only the I, big I, not not this I, but the big I, the ego, the self, that is limited. And therefore, time must be limited within two. Time itself is inexhaustible. You could use up a quadrillion of years, and still nothing has been. And at the same time, nothing has ever happened. Because there is no past, present, or future as the Shinjin May ended on day one. Reality is indivisible. So you might come to a Linzai place and I'm going to do koans now. And then, when it's my turn, I will hit the bell twice, bing, bing, and I waltz in to the doksan room and I will present a stunningly appropriate answer. <laughs> Has that ever worked for anyone? <laughs> Even sitting here, I mean, This is probably a place where most of uh, ideas come to death, you know? (laughs) Plans are made sitting, ah, yeah, this is it. And then uh, (laughs) they just evaporate. It's wonderful. But then when you come in, you might encounter somebody like me. And I'm not as kind as my teacher was, He had a different kindness. If you came with a corn and you opened your mouth, the bell would ring. If he was very kind and the corn was, how do you manifest butterfly in the meadow? You come in, you open your mouth, he starts laughing. (laughs) Talking butterfly. (laughs) It takes a long time to really get to the point to realize this is not about whatever. This is not about the koan. This is not about anything. About is that creation of mind that cuts things into little pieces. The word about is really important. Here's what Bodhidharma says. Not thinking about anything is Zen. Once you know this, walking, standing, sitting or lying down, everything you do is Zen. To, to know that the mind is empty is to see the Buddha. Using the mind to look for reality is delusion. Not using the mind to look for reality is awareness. Freeing oneself from words is liberation. So not thinking about anything is Zen. It doesn't say that the only thinking there is, is thinking about consciousness, which we sometimes just call thinking, is so full of different facets. It's, but it's a different kind of thinking. There is Zen thinking, Zen arts, any artist, who comes up with an art piece. There's no art. There are very few artists really in the same way that there are very few people who can just know all of this by themselves. When an artwork is created, there is some thinking involved, but not thinking about. It is original thinking that comes out of that well. The artist does not think about her, his, or their medium. A Buddhist practitioner doesn't think about spreading Buddhism when they have to teach somewhere by, well, how should I light the Dharma lamp in the other person? Should I use a match? Should I use a blowtorch? Should I use a lighter? No, that doesn't work. That is walking behind the flashlight of Dharma. If you walk behind the flashlight of Dharma and carry it in front of you in the darkness, you're still behind in the darkness. The only way to light the light of Dharma in this world is you have to be on fire yourself. This is this original thinking that wells up out of the unencumbered reality of a not-divided mind and a not-dividing mind. So thinking is not bad. Words are not bad. There needs to be thinking and words, but it has to be very well understood what kind of thinking is it. And that words are limited, but not useless. Telling somebody that you love them is only useless if it's only words. But if you really are that love, The words are not useless. All right. Now I have to slip into my being on fire mode in a very specific way. There are some practical notes for penetrating this thoroughly and they have to do with this formal practice here. While well, this practice is formal. There's a reason why we do things a certain way. And uh, I would like to point a couple of things out. Now, of course, I bring to the table what my upbringing, history, and all of that is. So if it doesn't strike you, please feel free to disregard it. So in one of the first sessions I ever went to, there were a couple of new people, and we ate. We ate. I remember very distinctly my first meal on my first session. It was dark, it was cold, it was raining, and the meal was gruel meal in a bowl. Where's the spoon? Oh, Oh, there's no spoon here, chopsticks. So I took my chopstick, I stuck them into the gruel and I could extend it 10, 15 inches without it breaking. The gruel spoke to me, you're going to die here. (laughs) (laughs) Now I I didn't die. But then so was eating and the person next to me, a very nice lady, also ate like this. Then she was barked at by the teacher. Don't eat like a dog. Frist nicht wie ein Hund. That sounds so much nicer in German. Friss nicht wie ein Hund. It was said a little nicer later. Well, sit up while you eat. We have the tendency to bring ourselves to the food. It's, it's the gravity of our heads that goes here. So much easier, uh, least effort. Mm. Try seeing it as eating is not about, right? It's not an about thing. It's something real. That's why it's wonderful to do, but practicing means to focus and prepare ourselves to find new ways of meeting what we have already met in our lives so often. And so sitting up while we eat, there are a couple of folks who do it, but the tendency naturally is that way. So I'm not faulting anybody. Try out to, to sit up and lift your bowl and bring your fruit to your mouth, mindfully. Full-mindedly is even better than mindfully. Full-mindedly. It's... Just try it. I find myself sometimes. Especially when I wear something that's light colored and the Tenzo in, in his uh, wisdom of cooking serves uh, tomato soup and beets <laughs> in the same meal. <laughs> that's not something you want to fall down your rope that you have to wear all week, you know. So... Posture, posture is not just posture in sitting. Posture is posture when walking. And what is posture? Posture is our embodiment of our readiness to meet what is there. In the mountains here you can, in the winter, you can teach yourself a lesson of what posture is and how posture is really related to that ego that always wants to be in comfort just wear what you're wearing it must be 20 degrees or less and step outside it's like something starts crushing our body oh. and naturally we go like this right at mount Bali, it was cold No extra underwear. No, no. And even if you go and you keep your posture, you feel this choking. And that is how our self, that limited mind chokes us all the time. We just don't realize it. So posture, if we meet it in that way, we can feel it. Feeling something and noticing is the first step of thoroughly penetrating. Number two, chanting. Don't listen for the beat. If you listen for the beat, You will be too late. (laughs) And if we are a little late, then the whole thing starts to getting slower and slower and slower. We picked up so wonderful dancing speed, you know? And then uh, it fizzles out. When you dance with your lover, you don't even want to stop when the song ends that's how we have to chant it's a lo- it's a, it's a love song to this life so feel the beat in the same way that you feel the heartbeat of your own heart and of your beloved's heart intention we, it's easier to chant in Japanese because we don't have to understand what it is. But when it comes to English, it gets very difficult because we know what those words mean. Well, but we know what the words mean, so we should also then... Uh, let's give them the attention and the sense that we want to give them. When I, a student of Dharma... <laughs> Mm. Look at the form of the universe. So we have to keep some attention ourselves in between. Even if we take a breath, you know? Even if we take a breath. A, A good actor, a good person on the stage speaks a sentence and leaves out. The next word but bridges that gap in between with attention. And here we are not paying attention or garnering attention of an audience, but what we are doing, we have to command our own attention. And then suddenly, the whole phrase turns into our own embodied expression. It's not catechism. You don't have to believe in it. And, but we have to embody it. Then no belief is necessary. Embody attention. It's all mu. Just your tongue is in a different position. Your jaw is in a different position. But it's all mu. It's all Mu. And that is the core of everything we do. And by doing it together, we have a chance to penetrate it thoroughly. Tōtetsu suru. Tōtetsu ka Shall we penetrate it together? Hi! hi, hi. Ah, that's better. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.